The following is a collection of podcasts from the Men of Valor program hosted by Dr. Mark Laser and Randy Everett called The God of Second Chances. Chapter 1 We're going to start a new series today. I'm going to call it, uh, based on a sermon series that uh, our pastor is preaching, uh, The God of the Second Chance. But what we're going to be really looking at is some of the characters in the Bible who were guilty of some sort of sexual sin and uh, how God dealt with that. Well, and thank God for his ability to grant us second and third and fourth chances uh, as we travel through our lives. Well, and your average addict needs uh, four to the 40th power or something. I mean, uh, we need a lot of second chances, uh, those of us that have struggled with addiction. So uh, we're going to launch into five or six characters that can be found in the Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. Today we're going to start with, uh, I think, one of my favorite stories, and I'm sure it's a story that uh, just about all of the listeners would be familiar with, It's the story of the prodigal son. Mark, that's one of my favorite Bible stories and probably one of the best examples of second chances that you'll find in the Bible. Uh, That's right. So for those listeners that uh, like to follow along at home, um, this can be found in Luke chapter 15. That's in the Gospels where the parable of the prodigal son is. Of course, Being a parable, it's a uh, story that Jesus is telling to illustrate a point, and most of the stories illustrate points about the character of God, and we're going to see that in this story, obviously. So uh, let's just get into it. Um, In Jewish culture back in those days, there was a law called primogenitor, which meant that the uh, father had to somehow, when he died, divide his wealth, and the oldest son was generally going to get the bulk of that, if not all of that. So uh, the point being that uh, a son who was looking forward to any money from his father had to wait until his father was dead to get that money in some shape or form. In our story, uh, we know that it begins with this rather arrogant young son, the younger brother actually of this family, coming to his father and asking his father for his inheritance. So the father is still alive, and that is the height of an insult, really, to be asking your father while he's still alive. Yeah, it was a rare request back then, that's for sure. And I think one of the attributes of the story is that Jesus is teaching us about the character of God the Father, and he's showing us here that uh, while we can be rebellious, we can be arrogant, we can be prideful, God is not going to slap us around, he's not going to... uh, Uh, try to discipline us out of this. The father doesn't argue. The father doesn't uh, call in authorities. The father doesn't kick him out of the house. The father is gracious and gives him the portion of inheritance that is due to him. And that's where things just begin to go downhill. That's where they begin to go downhill. So the Bible then tells us that the uh, son travels to a distant land And he squanders all of his money. I think originally it's described as loose living or wild activities. Uh, We don't really get a full sense of that until a little bit later in the story. But the result of it is that the the young man winds up uh, in a pig pen, really. And I don't know how many people ever put this together, but the writer here, Luke, is uh, uh, painting uh, the picture in the story that Jesus is telling 
of about the ultimate kind of disgrace that a Jew uh, could experience. If you'll remember, the uh, Jewish uh, law forbade a Jew from eating pork. Now, this young son, this prodigal son, is in a pig pen, and the story tells us that he, he asked permission to eat the food that uh, he was feeding to the pigs, and he was denied permission to even eat that food. So when you think about the fact that Jews can't eat pork, and now in this case, he can't eat the food that pork is eating, uh, it shows you that it's one step lower than low out yeah. there in the pig pen. It doesn't get much lower than that, and the son had clearly uh, not only uh, insulted his father by asking for his inheritance uh, ahead of time, but went and squandered it all away on the most meaningless and sinful of possible sources. Uh, he spent it on prostitutes and, uh, and loose living. Yeah, now we know the part about the prostitutes a little bit later on in the story, uh, I'm guessing that he was an addict of, um, you know, I, we can't read into the Bible and we can't no. diagnose somebody as being an addict without some kind of visible history to uh, demonstrate that. But at least in this case, he's making very poor choices, bad decisions. He may have been gambling. He may have been buying lots of things that uh, were perishable. You know, God only knows what he was doing, but, you know, he he completely wasted the money. Uh and then, of course, we all like the part of the story where the Bible says that he came to his senses uh, and he decided that even his father's servants had it better off than he did. So he would uh, humble himself, bring himself back to his father and ask if he could at least live in his father's household or in his father's retinue uh, as, as at least a servant. So he's, he's dragging his uh, tail and he is uh, rehearsing the speech that he's going to say to his father. And the part of the story that we really love is the part where the father, who seems to be looking at the door for him to return, uh, sees him coming from a long distance off and runs, rushes out to meet him. Now, for a father, a dignified father in Jewish culture to be doing this, you know, you have to understand the culture into which Jesus was telling this story. For a father to do that, even for a father to lift up his robes enough that he was able to run and to show his feet or his legs was uh, the height of uh, indignity or disgrace. So for this father to rush out and do that, uh, it's showing us that God the Father is really all about reclamation. He's about the God of uh, second chances. Uh, he's been waiting all along for us to come back to our senses, and when we do have that kind of attitude, then he is going to rush out and meet us. And the son was welcomed back with more than open arms after all that he had done, as much as he had betrayed his father, sinned against his father. Uh, by the time that he was denied the food meant for the pigs and decided that life would be better for me if I went back through myself at the feet of my father and begged for a position as one of his servants. That's right. So they, the father sends out the servants to kill the fatted calf. And by the way, Jews did not eat that much beef. So uh, cattle were generally uh, herded for milk and other kinds of things. But, you know, they didn't necessarily think about killing the fatted calf to have a feast. So this was very, very special uh, occasion, the, the height of special occasion. So that's uh, going to be the celebration that is given in honor of this uh, 
returned son. We're at the point in the story where the father is uh, throwing this big party, and the uh, son, the older son, who's been there the whole time, gets wind of this. He comes in and, uh, from the fields where he's uh, tending the sheep, and he uh, asks the servants what's going on, and the servants say, your brother who uh, was away has now come back, and your father is throwing this huge, massive feast and celebration, at which point the older brother gets incredibly angry, comes to the father. So there's really uh, only one uh, significant conversation here in the story, and it's really between this older son and the father. And the older son says, you know, Father, why are you doing this? You know, I'm the one that's been here all the time. I've been loyal. I've been faithful. I haven't gone anyplace. You have never allowed me to even kill a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Why are you killing the fatted calf for this this younger brother of mine. Then he goes on to say, do you know how he squandered your money? And that's where we learn he spent it on prostitutes. So, and then the father's response is uh, interesting. He says, you know, uh, son, you've been with me the whole time. And uh, I, uh, you know, appreciate that. But this younger brother of yours was lost and now he's found. So, uh, Jesus tells several parables uh, in the gospels about something being lost and then being found, and that God is not going to rest until those of us who are lost are in fact found, and uh, that when we do get that attitude uh, of wanting to return to the Father, God God meets us more than halfway. That's what makes this story the perfect analogy for the the men who are listening right. out there struggling with, uh, with sexual addiction or sexual purity issues is... We can't even fathom God's willingness to open his arms to us, to forgive us of our sins, and welcome us back. That's right. So I think uh, for our listeners today, one of the reasons why these stories we're going to go over, the God of the Second Chance, it's, uh, it's really, really interesting uh, that so many stories in the Bible really do, in fact, revolve around some kind of sexual sin, and that... In this story, Jesus, who's telling this parable, is really illustrating to us, again, a teaching that comes up later in Paul, which, which says, there is no sin that separates us from the love of God. So in this case, the son, I'm guessing that when he came back, he was broken, he was humble, he was shameful about what he'd done. And that, that sounds familiar around here because, you know, you can stand in our waiting room sometime when we have new men coming in for the first time and see the brokenness, the humility, the shame, the, uh, the anxiety, the sadness that they have. And really, you know, that's the place where true healing starts. I mean, when we have men that come in that are in that place, you know, I'm always happy for that because it makes my job a whole lot easier. I don't have to convince them about what they need to do. They're just basically pretty desperate to get the kind of help that uh, they so, so long have, have wanted. So basically the attitude that we're, we're talking about here, I think, is uh, a very common one in our theological parlance, and that is that, that the, the, the road to healing and the road to acceptance by God begins with a spirit of repentance. Repentance as a word simply means to turn around. So the son went out to the foreign land, got himself in trouble, then he turned around and he came back. That's repentance. And uh, for all of those listening, you know, that attitude of turning around and turning back toward God is where all true healing starts and where uh, God rushes out to meet us. Well, and in the case of the prodigal son's story, then tell our listeners what the father 
shares then with the older son as the older son is so disappointed in this reception that his young brother is receiving. Well, I want to go out on a limb here, I think, a little bit, because uh, I do think that this question of, uh, you know, why should we be graceful? Why should we forgive? Why should we receive? Why should we accept, uh, in our case here at our center, the uh, sexual center, the sex addict who has gone off and done all these, these crazy things? Uh, many of the people around, including you know most of the wives that uh, are part of our program here, they have never done these kind of egregious sins, and uh, they have never been sexually immoral or sexually sinful. Uh, and so I, I think it's sometimes uh, a part of a, a wife's journey, and we're going to have Deb on the show here this uh, spring. She can perhaps talk a little bit more about this. But, you know, I, I think it's just a natural reaction that we have for those of us that are thinking that sometimes life is unfair. You know, why should God forgive the most egregious of all sinners when I, who have not done nearly so much, am not getting the same kind of celebration for me that this other person seems to be getting? So I think this, the story of the brother is, is an inherently important one because I think it points to that black and white self-righteous attitude that a lot of people get into, uh, whether it's in the church or wherever else it is, I think we need to be very careful. Jesus is teaching us that even if we've been completely faithful, never committed major sins, you know, one of the the sins of pride, which is about that black and white place that we think we're we're not uh, uh, a sinner, we're not in need of any kind of brokenness or humble uh, humility or, you know, forgiveness. I mean, that's a very dangerous spiritual place, too. Uh, I think Jesus is teaching us better to go out, make mistakes, and be humble about it, come back and repent. You know, that's that's a better place to be spiritually than to be in that, uh, that arrogant, self-righteous place. Well, as you mentioned earlier about the men that walk in our door for the first time, there is a clearly recognizable sense of their shame, uh, of their, you know, the comment that I hear in talking to some of these men when they're calling in, uh, either with questions about the Men of Valor workshop or whatever, they have this sense that what they have done is unforgivable. Or they have this Mm -hmm. sense that they've done something that, again, if you knew this about me, you would reject me, you wouldn't like me. Right. And I, I think that that's the assumption that the young son is making here too. Right. He knows all that he's done. He knows the boldness and inappropriate nature of his original request for his inheritance from his father. And once he had squandered it all away rather sinfully, he expects to come home, throw himself at his father's feet, and beg for this position as a servant. Uh, so he's the last thing he's expecting is this warm, jubilant embrace from his father. And I think that applies greatly to our relationship with God mm-hmm. in assuming that we are not going to be embraced and loved and forgiven by God for, for all of our sins. There's still a lot of people out there that are, are trying to earn God's uh, acceptance or God's blessing or God's uh, favor and I think this story speaks to that, that there's just really no way to earn that kind of reaction from God. Uh, we really only get that reaction when we turn back toward God. Uh, and I think it's important that he was willing to humble himself to the point of being a servant. And I think that's, that's also an important spiritual attitude to think about, that 
that in our repentance when we return to God, we also have a willingness to serve. You know, not what we're entitled to, not what what is due to us, but uh, that's really the, the turning around in the story. It starts out with what he's entitled to, and it it turns around to what this uh, young man is willing to do to serve. And I think that change is uh, something that uh, we're looking for here and is, is part of uh, an inherently important part of the healing journey. Well, now, as, as we are sharing this story with our listeners, give that direct correlation one more time to the listeners as to how we're hoping that these stories from the Bible about second chances um, can clearly be applied to uh, their life today. Right. Well, I think basically we know that the core of uh, any addiction, for sure, and any uh, act of sexual immorality uh, is shame. The feeling of shame that I'm a bad and worthless person, that no one will love me as I am, no one will take care of my needs but me. You know, that, that feeling of core shame is is oftentimes what what prevents many, many people from understanding God in the way that that we need to understand God. Jesus here is telling a basic story which people can relate to. And if you can relate it all to this story of uh, having been out there in your own pig pens of your own creation, uh, then you know what you need to hear from this is that there is no depth of uh, shame or no depth of uh, depravity or no depth of sinfulness that can really ever get you to that point of uh, separation from that kind of love that God has for us. And I think that 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 is, uh, you know, part of the core belief system of the average shameful addict. You know, God, I know he sent Jesus. I know he sent his own son to die for us. And that probably applies to just about everybody else but me. And uh, that attitude of shame is oftentimes what, what prevents us from getting the help that we need because, you know, we think that if we are uh, going to confess or admit or accept that we've done these things, then there is going to be judgment from other people, from our spouses, and certainly from God. So uh, it's this shame that keeps a lot of people silent. So basically, I think in all of these stories, what we're wanting people to hear is uh, come back, you know, turn around and uh, come back. And there are those of us that will be happy to uh, receive us. Uh, last night in our Tuesday night group, we had a new man come, and uh, you know, when he came in, uh, his shoulders were slumped, his eyes were down, uh, he was feeling embarrassed about all of his stuff. And uh, the men who were there, the 12 or 13 other men that were there, you know, welcomed him, embraced him, uh, uh, told him that they were glad that he'd come. And at the end of group, after he'd participated a little bit, they they all told him what a welcome addition and uh, how they'd appreciated some of his contributions. And uh, you could just see this guy straighten up. You know, his his eyes lifted, uh, his countenance changed, and uh, a lot of times. Uh, the, the men in the groups are really kind of the, the messengers that are, that are the ones rushing out. I mean, there were guys that came up to this guy last night to greet him, to talk to him, to shake his hand, to give him a hug. You know, those are the kind of people that represent the kind of stuff that, that Jesus was describing in our story. 
Well, and Jesus has had put those men in that room last night together with you for this new gentleman who is yeah. who is attending his very first group meeting. Um, this is a, a great example of this new series that we want to share with the men because right. mm-hmm. I think that um, there is no better storyteller uh, than than God, right. and mm-hmm. these parables are powerful. And sometimes we don't take the time to look beyond the surface at the true meaning of the stories and the meaningfulness of the stories. Uh, this particular one of the par- of the uh, prodigal son is such a multifaceted, powerful, redeeming, healing story right. that I think it was the perfect place for us to be starting today as we start this series. Yeah, now be aware, because I know we have female listeners out there. Some of the characters we're going to be talking about are female. Debbie's reading a book by an uh, author by the last name of Higgs who talks about uh, the bad girls of the Bible. Well, there are some bad girls in the Bible, and God's grace is for all of us, so we're going to be, be uh, non-gender specific here. We're going to talk about some men who are sexual centers and some women in the Bible who are sexual centers. Well, I think that's a powerful message as well because uh, it shows us the universal nature of, of sin and also the universal nature of the forgiveness that is waiting for all of us through God. That is right. That's the ultimate message. I know there are people listening to us from all over the world, so we hope that uh, Faithful and True represents a place where you will feel accepted and and welcomed and that uh, we are longing in our own ways to kind of rush out and meet you. So, uh, And we do look forward to meeting a lot of you. God is a good God, Randy, and uh, we need to celebrate that today and be thankful for it in our own lives. And uh, we need to be those messengers of that love to lots and lots of other people.